Uh, the reading this morning is from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 16. And he gave, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. You may be seated. And can I just ask, how are you guys doing this morning? Yeah, we're all doing good. Who's excited about the picnic this afternoon? All right. Come bring your friends. It's going to be great. Um, well, this morning, uh, I'll introduce myself. I'm Brant. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ City Church. And uh, we do this every week. We get a worship God every week. It's, it's a blessing. Uh, we want to invite you in, to, if you're new here, to, to really enjoy it with us, to, to worship and to praise our great God and Savior together. Uh, this morning, we're going to jump into the Word of God in just a moment. But as we do, I'd ask that you would pray with me, because we, we can't do this by ourselves. Nothing that we do here can be done by ourselves. We need to ask God to help us and to equip us to receive His Word and to learn and to grow from it. So pray along with me, if you would. Heavenly Father, we, we come before you just acknowledging our frailty. You know, we are the creature. You are the creator. Lord, we, we praise you that you've provided for us a great Savior. We praise you that you've given us your Spirit, and then you are at work right now in this church with your presence through your Spirit. Oh Lord, and we just pray that you would work through your Holy Spirit right now to, to impact our hearts, uh, to give me the words to say, uh, to give us all the ears to hear, uh, that we would go away changed and deeply impacted by the truth of your word. We ask this in the powerful and precious name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. <clears throat> so we're in a series right now called We Are Christ City. It's a, it's a four-part uh, plus one series, I think, at this point. And it's a series that's really getting down into the DNA or into the bedrock of, of who we are as a church. So if you've been wondering who we are as a church, you, you come here and you visited a few times, I'd really encourage you to actually go back and to listen to all of the messages uh, in this series if you've missed them. We don't say that about all of our, our series, but if, you're, if you've missed some, listen to the ones that you've missed. This is an important series to, to understand who we are here at Christ City, what you're really getting involved in as somebody that's coming here and committing to this uh, body of the church. And in the first message, I'll give you, I'll give you a, bit, a bit of a summary here. We're, uh, we're one, two, three, we're four deep today. Um, in the first message, Fred took some time to explain to us the, the who question. Who are we as a church and the why? Why are we doing what we're doing? Uh, to the glory of God. That's the answer to the why question. And the second message, he talked about the way, um, or the, the what, I should say, of what we are doing together as a church. As he went and he looked through our core values as, as Christ City Church and, and kind of unpacked them for us. If you haven't heard that message, definitely go back and listen to that one. And then last week, I, I moved from the who and the why question, and I jumped into the first how question. How is it 
as a church in Vancouver, that we are going to bring the glory of God, spread the glory of God, shine the glory of God in the city as we love him and worship him and seek to help our neighbors know and understand who Jesus is, that they might serve and worship him too. As a first how question, we looked at uh, what it means to be a faithful contextual witness in the city and also a faithful countercultural presence in the city. And then today is part two of the how. So welcome, part two of the how today. And part two of the how is simply this, discipleship. Discipleship. This is a message all about discipleship. And we're going to do something unusual today, at least for me. And we're going to jump straight into the message. So I'm not going to give you an intro other than what I've just said. I'm not going to give you even an outline. So buckle up and get ready. We're, going to, we're just going to dive right in. Bear with me. And we'll unpack our topic, what Christian discipleship is and looks like in the church. So Christian discipleship, what is it? Well, discipleship is the training of someone to live and to think and to act like the person who is training them. When you're discipled, say, by an Aristotle, to use kind of the Greek, Greek ancient idea of discipleship, you would become like Aristotle. And actually, in our Bibles, in Luke chapter 6, verse 40, we have a little verse that, that explains what discipleship is and explains it this way. This is the ancient idea of discipleship. But everyone, when he's fully trained, will not just think like his teacher, but will be like his teacher. Do you see that? And the goal of Christian discipleship, similarly, is to be conformed to someone. But the goal in our discipleship isn't more, it's not more Aristotle's, right? It's not more Caesar's. And praise God, it's not more Brant's or Fred's or Jonathan's, right? Amen? Amen. The goal of our discipleship is to become like our Savior. As his spirit and his life and his love are at work in us here in the church. So before we unpack the text that was read a moment ago, I have a definition for you that's from that passage of discipleship. So what is discipleship? It's this. Discipleship. Every member in the church doing their part to help one another grow into maturity in Christ. I'll read it again. Every member in the church doing their part to help one another grow into maturity in Christ. And to see that I didn't invent that definition myself, it's not my idea, turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 16. And if you don't have a Bible here this morning, um, this is always a great time to, to tell you that we can give you a Bible. And we'd love to give you a Bible. So see Fred or see me after the gathering and we'll make sure that you have a Bible or go out and one of the ushers can uh, bring you a Bible right now if you need one. So the passage reads, Paul writes, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is ahead, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. 
So as we look at this passage, I want you to see a couple of really important things as we begin to unpack it. First, notice the goal in this passage. What's the goal? Where are we headed in all of our pursuits, in all of our Christian discipleship? Well, look at verse verse 13. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's, That's wonderful. To be like Jesus in every area of our lives. Look at verse 15. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. To love like Christ loves. To be merciful like Christ is merciful. To be kind like he's kind and good like he's good and just like he's just. In every area to be growing up together into Jesus. The goal of all of our Christian discipleship is Christians who become like Jesus. Christians who become like Jesus. But why does that matter? Have you ever asked that question? Maybe you're not a Christian here this morning, and I'd like to address you for a second here too. Uh, maybe you're wondering, what's the whole deal with Jesus anyway? Why would Christians have the whole pursuit of the church be to become like Jesus? What good will that do? Well, let me just say, one of the significant reasons that Jesus is the goal of Christian discipleship is that Jesus is the profound answer to what it means to be a human. What does it mean to be a human being? Jesus. That's the answer that the Bible gives. Maybe you've asked that question. What does it mean to be human? It's a really, really important question to ask. All kinds of people throughout time have asked in different cultures and different settings, what does it mean to be human, to be me? I want to know who I am, what I'm made for. In fact, actually, right now, the Smithsonian Institute, they got this interesting web page I'd encourage you to check out. And the web page is a crowdsourced uh, finding of the answer, what does it mean to be human? And like all things crowdsourced, uh, the quality, uh, it, it's, it's, you know, it's here and there, let's just say. But it's interesting because there's so many people that have, have given their answers to what does it mean to be human. So let's take a look at a, a couple of those as we think about this. I mean, Eric gives us a nice one word answer. Thank you, Eric. Enslaved. Cheerful, you know, to the point, probably woke up on the wrong side of the bed that day. Swad Jackson of California writes a little differently. To be human is to have a big brain with great intelligence. Humans are bipedal and communicate through the power of language. I mean, okay. I guess that's good as far as it goes. It's very descriptive, isn't it? But isn't it the case that when we ask, what does it mean to be human? We're not just looking for a description. Like we have two legs and two arms and a brain. We're looking for something more. We're looking for meaning, for purpose. We want to know, what was I made for? What is the purpose in the end of the day? The thing behind what it is that I am. And how can I live my life? Ioanna, I have no idea how to pronounce this, this name, I'll be honest. Ioanna, Ioanna from Australia writes, to be human is to... Learn from your mistakes and to have individualism. Each person is unique in their own way, and that means they're human. You know, the thing about reading through the list in the Smithsonian and and asking this question of a lot of people over time is that it's very interesting. You have all these different answers, and you realize when you ask the question enough times that nobody really knows. Nobody really knows. What does it mean to be human? On our own 
We don't know. And that's a big problem because how you answer the question, what does it mean to be human, is going to determine the way that you live. And I'm not saying that each one of you has sat down and had a philosophical moment where you've, you've really pondered, what does it mean to be human? But what I am saying is that every one of you at some level has a default understanding of who they are, and that determines the way that they live. You know, maybe you think, well, I, I like pleasure. Maybe I'm just made to pursue pleasure. I'll do that. Or maybe you think, you know, I'm, I'm intelligent. Maybe I'll spend my life pursuing academia. That's who I am. That's what I'm made for. That's the meaning of who I am. Or maybe it's, uh, you know, I, I'm autonomous as an individual. I, have, I make free choices, so I better spend my life making as many free decisions as I possibly can, and I'll do that. Or some combination of the above or something else entirely. But what we think about who we are starts to bleed into how we live and how we orient our lives in this world. And I want to know who I am. I don't know about you, but I want to know what it means to be human. I want a definitive answer because I want to know what I'm to do with my life. I want to know who I am because I want to know if there's any meaning inherent in my humanity to live for. I don't want to get the answer wrong. I've got one life to live. I don't really want to misuse it and mess it up. What does it mean to be human? Knowing the answer to that question is the difference between a deeply meaningful life that's full of hope and purpose and a life that fizzles out into suffering and despair and feels completely unbearable as it progresses in ages. Into the fray and into the confusion of all the answers to this question, the Bible claims to have a divine word from the God who made us about who we are. There aren't seven billion answers that are equally valid. There is one answer given by our creator. And his answer is deeply satisfying because it corresponds exactly to who he made us to be. <clears throat> what does it mean to be human? The Bible says, look at Jesus and you'll know. Look at Jesus and you'll know. Because Jesus, the Bible teaches, is the perfect human being. He is human par excellence. If you want to know what it means to live and to, to be and what the meaning of your life is, you look at Jesus. You see him. And what we see in Jesus is that the meaning of being a human is to live a life of love for God, obediently following him, knowing him, being in relationship with him. And as his love fills your heart, living in love for others. That's what we see in Jesus. That's who we are. And you know why Jesus is so important to this question? Because Jesus not only is the answer, he's the one that can help you to become it. He's the one who can free you from whatever it is that you're wrestling with, free you from your sin, free you from resisting his lordship, and, and free you into being one of his children, made in his likeness, living as you were created to be as a human being. The purpose of all Christian discipleship is to become more like Jesus. Because becoming more like Jesus is the only way to become truly and fully human. That's why the goal in our discipleship is to be like him. That's what we've seen here in Ephesians chapter 4. It's, it's there for a reason. But there's more that I want to show, show you in this passage. There's more than this. 
The second thing I want you to see in Ephesians 4 is who does the work of Christian discipleship? We've seen the goal, but who does the work? Who causes us to grow up into Jesus? We look at verses 11 to 12. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And then also look at verses 15 to 16. And this is a typical Paul sentence with uh, the subject at the beginning, full of a couple dependent clauses, and then the, the, the juice at the end. So I'll try and read it in a way that makes sense. The whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow up so that it builds itself up in love. All right, we're going to skip over the middle part a little bit to get the sense. The whole body builds itself up in love. Who does the work? Apostles and prophets and evangelists and teachers and shepherds and all the saints. It's profound. The body builds itself up together as they're rooted in Christ into the fullness of Christ. I really want you to feel the weight of that. There's a responsibility on your shoulders. Certainly, God has given gifts to the church of leadership that are are designed to be there to equip you to better disciple. But the work of discipleship doesn't just fall on my shoulders and Fred's shoulders or on Jonathan's shoulders. It's beyond that. We're here to equip you to disciple one another, to grow together into the fullness of the stature and maturity in Jesus. Look at our definition together. Every member in the church doing their part to help one another grow into maturity in Christ. Every member in the church doing their part to help one another grow into maturity in Christ. All of us are in this together. There's no spectators. This is not a spectator sport. You might feel that Fred often says we're not here to be entertained. Another way of saying that is we're not here just to spectate. We're here to be part of something together on the field, together, every part mattering on the field. But here's a question. How do we do this work? If it's on all of us, if we're to grow up in every way into Jesus, how do we actually get to work? What do we do? Well, look at verse 15. This text tells us. Rather, speaking the truth in love. That's the way. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Speaking the truth in love. That's a pretty powerful thing, isn't it? You imagine speaking the truth in love. But I want to tell you, that's actually not even powerful enough to match what this passage really says in Greek. Because while speaking is implied in this passage, certainly, the word speak isn't here in Greek. It's been supplied from the context. The word, if you give you a literal translation, is simply truthing the love or truthing in love. Which is weird. We don't, have, we don't have that in English. We don't say truth is a verb. But, but truthing in love is what this passage says we are to do. But what does that mean? Right? I mean, that's pretty abstract. What does that mean to truth and love? I don't know. Well, we are called to embody in words and in actions, embody in words and in actions, the truth of the gospel to one another in our lives together. And I know that's still a bit abstract, so I'm going to try and flush that out for you via two illustrations to to try and see what that means. So here's two illustrations for you. As some of you may know, I went to a large seminary in the States. And uh, while I was there, it was a great seminary. There's great teaching, great instruction, a lot of good things going on, excellent professors. But while I was there as this naive, you know, first-year seminary student, I was so shocked by some of the people that I met there. People that were far more intelligent than I am, 
People that knew far more than I know. But people who were not committed to a local church and people who weren't really interested in living their lives deeply as those who were followers of Jesus. They had the knowledge, but their, their profession did not match up with their practice. There's a wide gaping hole between the two. And you know what happened when you hung out with those people? You weren't encouraged. I didn't grow up into Jesus. I wasn't edified in any way. In fact, if anything, it was deeply discouraging to be around them. Story number two. On the other hand, while I was at seminary, I was befriended by a wonderful couple that God has used profoundly in my life. By Johnson and Emily Ping. I think I tear up talking about them, but I'm going to. Love these guys. <clears throat> and, uh, and Johnson's life, it just contrasted so much with the guys I just t- told you about. Because when he lived, when he learned from the scriptures, that truth was filtered down into his life, changing him and transforming him. So it was hard to get a knife edge between what Johnson said he believed and what he practiced. He lived it. And while we were there, while I, was at, while I was at seminary, it was a funny season in our lives. Heather worked a lot of weekends. And so I spent a lot of time at Johnson and Emily's house. And I got to see Johnson embody the gospel. I was shaped by him. I was at his house a lot of weekends and he invited me in. I was shaped by the way that I saw him loving his wife, caring for her. By the way that I saw him fighting with his wife and making up with her. By the way that I saw him wrestling with how to discipline his kids. We'd be at the table sometimes hanging out and he'd be like, I got to go. <laughs> I got to do with my little daughter. And he'd be gone for 45 minutes trying to disciple her in Jesus. And we're just sitting around the table wondering what's going on. But we got to see Johnson's life in action as he lived the gospel. I got to see the way that, that he confessed sin, repented of sin. The way he was open about his struggles, open about fighting to cling to Jesus when it was really hard. I was shaped by the way that he cared for others and modeled hospitality and had others in his home. And to this day, Johnson has an influence on me still. Because even though I haven't seen him in a couple years, I'm in contact with him as he faithfully holds on to Jesus in the midst of deep suffering. His third son, who I haven't met, Timothy, has just recently passed his first birthday and hasn't left the hospital. They moved their lives, they upended, and they moved up the East Coast of the States, and they're there with their son. But through it all, Johnson's holding on to Jesus in a public way, in a way that we get to see and be encouraged by together. Look, Johnson would be the first one to say to you that he's not perfect. He's not. But he's a, he's a sinner who's trusted in a merciful and a very great Savior. And it shows. It bleeds into his life in the way that, that he embodies the truth of the gospel. And because of his freedom that he has in the gospel, not to hide from people, but to be fully vulnerable with people. He invites us in to share in his joys, in his struggles, in his sufferings, in his pains, in his material possessions, and everything else as a means of embodying the truth of the gospel. And it's changed me. It's had an effect on me. I become more like Jesus, I think, because I've hung out with him. That's what we're called to do here at Christ City. We're called to embody the truth of the gospel to one another in our day-to-day lives. 
So we, we see that. That's kind of the theory, maybe, if you will, of, of some of this discipleship. But we could ask, what does this mean for us practically? Now, as we move away from this, what are some things that we can hold on to and, and take to heart if we're going to commit to embodying the truth of the gospel together ourselves? Well, I've, I've thought of five things. I'm sure there are more, but these are five at least central and important things that we need to hold on to if we're to do this. First, Christian discipleship requires Christians. Christian discipleship requires Christians. That might seem really obvious to you. Like, oh, duh, Brent, you know, this isn't my first time in church. At the same time, I know that some of you maybe are wanting to live Christian lives without having been transformed by Jesus. Wanting to have some of the fruit of the gospel without submitting to Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. Not holding on or not, not giving up on holding on to all these other things that are in your life and then letting them go and holding on to Jesus as the center of your hope and your joy. Christian discipleship requires Christians. And this makes sense because even though I've said it's us who do the work, we realize that we only work because it's, it's God who's at work in us by his Holy Spirit. We have to have his spirit at work in us, helping us with the work to do the work. Just look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. For it is God who works in you. We work, certainly. It's on us, but it is God who empowers us for it. It's God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We work only because God is at work in us. So, if diving deep into discipleship and growing in Jesus is something that's attractive to you, now let me call you to repentance and faith in Jesus. You need to submit to him. You need to fall down on your face before him, give up on trying to live your life your way, and follow Jesus. Ask him to change you. Ask him to fill you with his life to make you different. He can do it. He promises to do it. That must happen first. But second, to be effective in Christian discipleship, we must also be committed to the truth of God's word. You've got to be Bible people. That's countercultural, isn't it? Walk around the streets of Vancouver, I'm the Bible person. It goes over really well. But we need to be Bible people. We need to be shaped by the truth of God's word. Paul says that our transformation into maturity in Christ comes as we are exposed to Christian truth from God's word. Look at Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world. There's pressure all around you, Christ City, trying to get you to conform to this world. Don't do it. The Bible says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind through Scripture. Knowledge is then deeply important for, important for discipleship. How are you going to embody the truth of the gospel and the truth of God's word if you don't know God's word and you don't know the gospel? We've got to be shaped by these things in our minds to know them. And if you're not there, it's no cause for shame, but let me ask you, Commit to reading your Bible every day. Start to get to know the Bible. If you're uncomfortable with some of the truths of the gospel, you don't know really, you know, head or tails, come talk to Fred or I or, or, or talk to us and we'll connect you with somebody who can help disciple you in being more conversant and fluent in the gospel. So you can share it with others. But there's more. Third, to be effective in discipleship, we must be committed 
to prayer. We have to be praying people, Christ City. We must pray for one another that Jesus would increase in us. We have to be praying that he'd do that. It's commanded in Scripture, after all, 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. We recognize, as we pray, that discipleship is God's work. It's his work. It's not just us trying really hard. And we need to pray for him then to be at work in your brothers and sisters here in the church. Are you doing that? Are you committed to praying for one another? Asking that Jesus might increase and grow in this body. Fourth, effective discipleship requires commitment to community. Don't be deceived. Discipleship only happens. Growth richly in Christ only happens in community. It only happens in community. I I don't think I can say that strong enough. It only happens in community. I think you need to hear this. If you think that you're going to grow into maturity in Christ by yourself, you're wrong. You're not going to love the God of the Bible more by yourself. You're not going to grow to love one another, one another more deeply together by yourself. You're not going to grow to love the people in this city, to feel a burden for their well-being and the gospel by yourself. You won't grow deeply in Christ being made mature in him by yourself. We only grow into maturity in Christ together as a church. Fred said a few weeks ago that I would talk about community groups, and well, here I am. Now's the time to do that. And this talk about being in community, I'm going to talk about community groups because we need them. And in the body of Christ City Church, we have community groups by design, and and they're to act as a trellis, if you will. So imagine a trellis, right? The grapevines grow up it, the fruit comes off of it. Our community groups are trellises for fruitful community at Christ City Church. They don't do everything, but they're a trellis that exists there from which you can, you can build off of and build into and grow deeply as a community and bear fruit and grow to be more like Jesus. In the body of Christ City Church, we as the elders of Christ City, we want community groups to be the front line of discipleship. We want them to be the front line for care for one another and the front line for local community evangelism. And look, here's the thing. Because of community groups, if you commit to that group together, you're equipped to do something that Fred and Jonathan and I can't do. Because you know one another and your needs more than Fred and Jonathan and I know them. You can be together and care for one another and love one another and and try to shape one another with the gospel in an intimate setting that we can't get to. You can also start to work together to reach the community around you in ways that the rest of us can't. Because community groups are almost like little microcosms of Christ City Church in Kitsilano. You know, and, and in your specific block, you have a, an opportunity to be a witness there with your brothers and sisters in a community group in a way that I can't in my block over here. We can only do so much from the pulpit. We can only meet so many people, but we can seek to raise up and train more elders and more community group for your benefit to help you disciple one another. We want to do that at Christ City Church. We want to get better at this. So there's an application here. I bet you can't imagine what it would possibly be. If you're not in a community group, you should be in a community group. If you're not in a community group and you want to grow 
and mature in Jesus, you should get in a community group. It's one of the structures that we have here at Christ City, these structures that we have here at Christ City, to start that work. We'd encourage you to do that. And finally, fifth, effective discipleship, maturity in Jesus and the church, it requires a commitment to evangelism. Growing in Jesus requires a commitment to evangelism. I mean, Jesus talks about discipleship this way in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus' vision for discipleship here, you see, it's not simply for those who are already involved in the local church. It's to reach those with discipleship that are outside of the church and to bring them in as followers of Jesus, to be profoundly changed by him. So I think there's really a couple of ways that we can fail then in our discipleship. You can think of two. One, we can have kind of an introverted discipleship where we grow fat here, Christ City Church in the gospel, and just have our eyes inward. That'd be unhelpful. We'd, unhealthy. We'd fail. Or we can have an unhealthy version of discipleship, which is the opposite. We can be so outward focused that we don't pay any attention about growing together as a church. It's a symbiotic relationship. We need both the inward and the outward discipleship. Because without a healthy church spurring one another on in their love for Jesus and faithfulness to him, as they embody the truth to one another, our witness beyond these walls is going to be muted. It's as we grow together here that we can have an effective uh, witness outside. But at the same time, without an outward focus, we're not going to be growing and challenged to grow more in Christ here. Because as we have an outward focus, looking to disciple our neighbors as salt and light, as that contextual and countercultural witness, we're going to be challenged. It's challenging to do that. But in that challenge, we thrive as we learn more about what it means to trust Jesus and to, and to communicate why he's so wonderful to somebody who doesn't know. We're going to be spurred on in our faith when we see somebody who's not yet a Christian become a Christian. There's nothing more beautiful and wonderful to see that happen, to see their lives be upended in a glorious way for their good as they encounter Jesus. We need that outward focus to help stimulate our growth within the church as well. You know, we, we don't have to do it alone. I think evangelism is so intimidating so often because we feel like we have to do it by ourselves. But let me say, you know, you don't have to do it alone. And, and I know we haven't been perfect at this, but we want to grow in this Christ City Church. One of the things that we think we'd want to encourage you guys to do would be to start to take every fourth week of the month with your community group in the, in the new ministry year starting in September and use that fourth week to do evangelism together. And what I mean by that is, is not, you know, going and standing on the street corner and yelling at people. What I mean by that is, is having them over together as a community into your home or going and maybe getting a meal together and inviting a friend, but doing it together. Or having a picnic at the park like we're going to have a little bit later today. And having people come in and just be with you and see you and get to know you. And give them opportunities to encounter Jesus in your midst. So as we talk about this, as we look at these five things, I mean, how, how are you doing? How are you doing in each of these areas? Where is God 
asking you to change or to grow or to repent in order to be more effective as disciple makers at Christ City Church and in Vancouver. We've been down in the nitty-gritty of discipleship this morning. But as we conclude, I want to I just zoom out at the end of the message. I want to climb the mountain with you of discipleship, to see it from a, a higher elevation, get caught up in what's really going on and the beauty of it. Discipleship is glorious. It's beautiful. Because discipleship is taking part together in something more mind-bogglingly wonderful than anything else that you could possibly be part of in this world. You see, we've been cheating. We've been looking at only a small picture of discipleship in Ephesians 4. But what we've been looking at is part of something that's so much bigger. Something that's tucked away in verse 10. Look at it with me. Look at verse 10 to 12 for some context, and, and we'll, we'll try to pull this out at the end of the message here. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. Christ City, Jesus ascended to earth for us and for our salvation. Right? We're, we're, we're saved by him. We get to came here. He ascended up into heaven to carry on his mission of bringing incredible glory to God from one end of the earth to the other. And he has a specific purpose in that. Look at the end of verse 10 again. That he might fill all things. Your growth in Christ matters because God is using your growth in Christ, the church that he's established, to fill this whole world with his presence. Do you see that? That's what we're about here when we talk about discipleship. Filling the world with the presence of God. That's incredible. That's more meaningful than anything else you could possibly be committed to. All over Ephesians, Paul's making the same point. It's not just this little bit in verse 10. God has a plan to take this broken world, Christ City, and to fill it with himself. To make it new by filling it with himself. How? Through the church. Through the church. As we grow together in Jesus, who is fully God. Just look at Ephesians 1, 22 to 23. A couple more passages and we'll end. And he put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church is the body of Jesus, the presence of God who fills all in all. It's not going to stay small. It's been growing throughout history and it's going to continue to grow to fill this world with the presence and the beauty and the glory of God. Or look at Ephesians 3.19. Paul prays for the church to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Or again, Ephesians 4.10 at the end there, that he might fill all things. How will God's presence and glory fill this earth? How will we fulfill our purpose? Through his church. As Jesus fills us with himself matures us into himself here through discipleship. It's nothing fancy. It's the regular work of Christian discipleship. It's not about the best sermon ever. It's not about the best worship set ever or the best gathering ever. 
It's not about the best community group or best community outreach ever. God's filling up this world with his presence through the regular, unsurprising, faithful work of loving God, loving one another, and sharing our lives together as we hold on to Jesus in faith. That's how he's doing it. Do you hear that this morning? I want that to be an encouragement for you. I don't know where all of you are, but I know that some of you are suffering right now. I know some of you are depressed and discouraged. I know some of you are wrestling with with dreams that have kind of fallen by the wayside. I know that some of you feel that, that you don't have giftings. I don't have a place here. What am I to contribute? I want you to hear what I'm saying, especially you, because you, according to all that we've been talking about this morning, have an essential part to play in God's work of filling this world with his presence. He has work for you to do. He has work for you to do. You have meaning. You have purpose. He made you for this. Can we pray and ask him for help as we end? Let's pray. Oh, Father, we we come before you and uh, we're humbled. We're humbled that you would make a plan to fill this earth with yourself and get glory for yourself through the regular work of discipleship in our church. That's, that's incredible. Lord, help us to commit to it. Help us to realize that as we grow in Jesus, we're part of something wonderful and joy-filled. Lord, I pray that you'd spur us on towards love and good deeds, towards faithful commitment to embody the truth of the gospel in our day-to-day lives. And we ask that you be glorified here. Your kingdom come, your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.